Hello everyone and welcome to Warrior Woman in Business Podcast. My name is Jasmine Sandler and I'm thrilled to have with me today Deborah Max, our mental health expert. And just a little bit about Warrior Women in Business and what it's all about before we get started on this great interview today. Thank you, Deborah. Um, so Warrior Women in Business used to be Wonder Women in Business, but we've changed it to a better, more powerful name. And really what it's all about is empowering women in business and also in the home because it's just as equally as important. So it is October 2019 and October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And to that, we're interviewing Deborah today and furthermore, we're hosting a very important event at the New York Art Center in Tribeca, October 24th. I hope you all can join us. It's a silent auction we're doing in alliance with the Mayor's Fund of New York to raise monies to disseminate to all the domestic violence support groups in New York City. Um, so I hope you do join us. And again, I've invited Deborah, and actually she's, she's invited me because we're sitting in her gorgeous home on a Saturday, which is amazing. And I want to pick Deborah's brain today because Deborah has been in the mental health field for 20 years, yeah? Yeah. She's also an author of um, an amazing book, and she's going to talk about that today. But let's get right into sure. it. Um, first and foremost is how did you tell us your story and how you chose the field that you're in today? When people ask me how I entered the field or what got me into mental health, I usually say it was by mistake. <laughs> um, it was circumstances that led me, and I think most people can say that about almost anything and what we do. Um, I was a recipient of mental health services from mm -hmm. the time I was really young. Mm -hmm. um, so I experienced a lot of the good, the bad, the ugly sure. that mental health system has <laughs> to offer. And you know, as I bettered myself and got further along in my own recovery, I learned about different advocacy organizations for certain things. Um, a lot of it had to do with revamping the mental health system. Mm. Um, so that was on more of a macro level, but sure. on a micro level, I was involved in some support groups and other forums where you can really provide one-on-one -on -one support. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I felt like you made, made more change on that micro level. Oh yeah. Sometimes the advocacy work can be a little bit frustrating. Mm. So that's a roundabout way of saying that I went from patient to advocate. Mm. And now in my current role, I'm assessing patients that are in acute psychiatric crisis. Oh. So, yeah. And you're in, so talk about where you are now and, and your, you know, your affiliations, the hospital okay. you work with, and a little bit about what you do. In sure, sure, cases. sure. No problem. So I'm doing two exciting things right now and kind of they both feed different needs that I have. Mm -hmm. My day job, if you want to call it that, is working at Christ Hospital in Jersey City. Um, it's an urban hospital, um, relatively small, all things being equal. Yeah, sure. But my job is specifically to work with any patient that comes in with a psychiatric complaint. Mm. A lot of the patients that come in are brought by the local police, uh -huh. sometimes secondary to domestic situations, sure. arguments, fights, what have you. Mm. My job is to assess them for safety and either recommend psychiatric admission mm. or refer them to outpatient services. Mm. I'm also assessing patients for detox admission because oh. we have an acute care detox unit. Really, okay. meet, well, it's a drop in the bucket with regard to the opiate epidemic. Oh. However, we are able to provide much needed opiate detox on our unit. Wow. So that's my day job. Mm. Um, I'm able to get my fix for attention and public speaking because mm -hmm. I like them both. Sure. Um, yeah. By doing DBT skills training. Okay. So I'm kind of meeting. So what's DBT needs. for the people that don't oh, know? Oh, sure. DBT is dialectical behavioral skills training. Okay. It's a cognitive model for people oh. that suffer with various 
ailments, i.e. Oh. depression, self-injury. Uh. It you, was used uh, primarily for folks that had borderline personality disorder, mm. which unfortunately there's a huge gender bias with that diagnosis Absolutely. as well. Sure. Um, mm. But what we found over the years is it has many applications. It's very, very concrete. It's really wonderful for you know, folks in uh, criminal justice settings because it oh. is behavioral. Yeah. Um, it's been helpful for people that struggle with self-injury. Mm. Polysubstance abuse, mm -hmm. sexual trauma, that's a mm. big one. Yeah. Um, so what I do is I took the model, which is Marshall Lenahan's model, the DBT model, mm. and I kind of tweaked it a little. So I'm teaching skills in a way that they're portable. So I'm mm. teaching mental health clinicians these skills so that A, they learn them so they can care uh. for themselves. Oh. Then they're able to model them for their clients, mm -hmm. etc., and then it goes round and round and yeah. round. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big fan of the whole self-care thing and really taking care of yourself so you can be good for the people you're working with. Well, so. you know what you said? Well, thank you for you sure. know not only illustrating that but defining it because a lot of people don't know what it's like on the inside of mm -hmm. the mental health system. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people just don't even know. <laughs> so... So, but what you said, what was interesting is, is something that we've been talking about this month, kind of in general at our events and, you know, just conversations I'm mm -hmm. having with people. Uh, we're supporting the Mayor's Fund and, you know, their end, end gender-based and domestic violence. And one of the conversations that we're having and what we're going to be talking about on October 24th is the, is the nature of abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse when it comes to domestic violence and how that perpetuates beyond one person. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So I like that you were talking about the fact that you are tra you're basically training a, a behavior that can be modeled, right? Correct. And and drive positivity. Mm -hmm. So that being said, I guess my question to you is um, the cases that you see that come in, whether they're sexual abuse or domestic violence, um, you know, one important thing that I'd like to understand is how much of it is physical versus mental? Like, did, like, what's the weight of the difference? Do you know what I mean? Like, in terms of the effect? I have to think about that one for a second. Oh, sure. So, if, are you asking me which you think is the more significant problem that I'm seeing? Or yeah, good question. Sorry about that. It was pretty yeah, so vague. Bad. <laughs> so, no, um, which, not only which is more significant, but I think, furthermore, the secondary question would be, um, what has more impact, right? So, you know, there's this whole argument with d domestic violence mm -hmm. that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's what's physical and what can be seen. But then there's this whole right. other argument that, no, it's the mental impact. And so I know you're on the mental side, but you're also working in a situation where you're seeing the physical impact as well. Yeah. So I'm just wondering what you think in the long term, if you have a case where someone's been abused mm -hmm. physically, mm -hmm. you know, how long does it take for them to get over the physical impact versus the longevity of the mental impact? Do you know what I mean? I understand. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we can look at it. You know, our bodies will, will heal over time mm. um, but the emotional and mental well-being of someone is a little bit different because it's not a, it's not something you can see it might not be as tangible as the right. physical signs but one of the things that I've seen in the field mm. one of the things that I've encountered myself mm. is and this is an unfortunate thing we have in the mental health field we have a lot of folks including myself who have backgrounds of significant trauma Okay, yeah. secondary to sexual abuse or institutional abuse. What happens is they come into the mental health system trying to access care for services, but in many ways the system itself is re-traumatizing and really, uh. really 
in addition to the, yeah. the pre-existing trauma, mm -hmm. a lot of the practices of the mental health field are even more traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Everything from mm -hmm. the administration of medication via yeah. IM to four-point restraints, which quite frankly... That's it's still a thing. It's still a thing. It's very much Isn't a thing. Isn't that archaic? Yes, and yeah. I have to say, I was. <laughs> it seems like it's still. It would be in a film and not in our no, 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 in no, our no. 2019 hospitals, it's right? It's unfortunately very yeah. real. I actually carry a restraint key, mm, and I made. Wow. A, I was told I had to. That the wow. expectation is, if a patient requires to restraints, I'm to assist with the process. To which I said, "That's mm. nice. I may use the key, but it will be to unlock the restraints." <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, and you know, again, as yeah, much as yeah. you want to re talk no about it or as little, but you know, just, and I know some things are hard to talk about, but yeah, you know, yeah. I also, I came from a, the reason that I'm doing this event, yeah. that I'm like hell bent on this event, is because I came from a family of, you know, serious domestic violence and mm -hmm. I saw it when I was very young. And it has a you know a long mental impact, and yeah. you know through that as a little kid we would go to therapists all the time and bounced around. So I know the mental health system, believe me, girlfriend. So <laughs> <laughs> my question to you though is like talking about like maybe if you want to share a little bit about like some things that may have happened to you and um, you know anything that you want to share or don't, mm -hmm. you know, and um, where you found actual help along the way, like the good part of it. Mm, the good parts. Yeah, the good part. You know. I, I'm very, I have a lot of gratitude for some of the people that I have in my life that are providing me support. I think the greatest support I have is from two mental health treatment providers who work with me not to pathologize things I feel. You know, mm -hmm. I think when you have grown up in the mental health system, I mean, I first entered the inpatient mental health system when I was 13. Yeah. So really all I knew were diagnoses and yeah. all of that. Mm -hmm. And I have to remember that, yeah, Maybe I'm having emotions and not symptoms. Yeah. Um, mm. I think there's this tendency to really pathologize behaviors. Mm. And I'm very, very lucky that the folks that are in my corner treatment-wise do their best to normalize. In fact, mm. they will say on more than one occasion, that's normal. Yeah. That's not crazy. You don't sound crazy. Mm. And that's really, really validating because for many years, I was just basically they told. label you. Yes, exactly. diagnosis and some pills. Absolutely. They, they throw you in Absolutely. Thing. Well, that's great to hear. And yeah. I think that's very important, you yeah. know? And I think that, um, correct me if I'm wrong or if yeah, you can yeah. argue on this, but, sure. you know, that, that brings this awareness around mental health. It's not such mm -hmm. a scary thing, you know? Um, so I know in New York City, I, I'm really happy to see these 311 signs yeah. everywhere. I think it's cool. Absolutely. I was like, bravo. You know what I mean? Like before you're looking for a therapist, it's like, oh my God, I'm looking for a therapist. Mm -hmm. Now it's out in the open. So um, can you talk a little bit about that in terms of um, how you've seen cities, particularly where you live, support okay. people getting mental help? Yeah. So it, it's funny. So I've had the benefit of working and living in two different systems of care. Okay. So I lived for many years in New York and I spent quite a bit of time working in mental health in Westchester County. Nice. So mm -hmm. I was very, very familiar with the services that they provided. Okay. One of the things that I became very involved in um, was suicide prevention. Mm. Um, I was, I had the, the pleasure of being able to take a train the trainer training. Mm. It's called assist. It's out of uh, a program called Living Works, which is based okay. in Canada. Oh. And I went in initially 
with the attitude, oh, it's going to be another training. Yeah. I actually joked with my boss at the time. I said, I really want to wear a Suicidal Tendencies t-shirt uh, to the training. Well, and he said, please do not do that. <laughs> but I really went in with that attitude. But anyway, I went to the training, took the fun. training, and I found this really, really interesting... Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway from that training, what really impressed me so, was teaching mental health clinicians to allow people to explore their reasons for wanting to die. Yeah. Instead I, of just saying, don't do it, or I don't know what they do, but I would assume no, absolutely. that your number one job is to save someone. Yeah. Exactly. So, so when mm -hmm. you're trying, in order to save someone, yeah. you kind of have to meet them where they are, in the pit, in the muck, in the you mire. That's the truth. You know? Mm -hmm. Because if you're jumping to all this positive stuff, well... Maybe I'm not there yet. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like somebody telling you to relax. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> don't do such, that. Don't do that. I think don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about your book. Um, oh, okay. Title of your book, how you came up with the book, what's the book about. Oh, my gosh. What you what your mission is behind the book. Talk about okay. the book. So this has actually been a project of mine for many years. Okay. And I was really, really lucky last year through various connections to land a literary agent. Congratulations. And what was, thank you, and yeah. what was hysterical about that is it kind of, Again, I guess there are no coincidences, but mm, this was okay. a this was an agent who whose books I purchased. I actually have a stack of them. He writes books on how to query literary agents. Oh, I love it! <laughs> but I never reached Smart. out to him, and it was so funny. <laughs> That's when he, funny when, when he connected with me, and I said, "Jeff, I have all of your books," and he goes, "Did you ever submit to me?" I said, "No," and he said, "Why the hell not?" But anyway, so that's, the book that's pretty funny. The book is a memoir and right now oh, um, I'm revamping uh, the manuscript a little bit. I'm really trying to target more of the, you know, young adult. And what's it called again? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it is Thorazine Goddess. Thorazine Goddess. Cool How name. I transformed my psychosis into a superpower. <gasps> See, you're a natural fit for the warrior women. You are a warrior woman in business. I love it. So keep going with the book. Yeah. So basically, it it is a memoir, but I'm not necessarily selling it that way. I think it's an interesting story. Yeah. Okay. Um, How many pages is it? Oh my goodness! Right now, the working manuscript is about five eighty five. Oh my gosh. So it's Amazing. a lot. There's yeah. a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. Um, what I'm very lucky because I've always been a writer. Yeah. So I do Me have. <laughs> I have I have journal entries from 1987, um, that I'm able to put into the book, and wow. really it. It begins with, I think, the defining, well, one of the defining moments in my recovery. Mm. And that is linked to my, my abuse history. Uh. Um, basically, what happened is after years of being the patient that no one could deal with, after years of being this recalcitrant, treatment-resistant person who was mm. cutting themselves, burning themselves, trying to kill themselves, just all that horror... I decided at the age of 18, you know what? I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do. Mm -hmm. And that was my biggest mistake. I surrendered yeah. to a higher power, if you will, and yeah. that was psychiatry. And here's the problem. I'm not anti-psychiatry no. in any way, shape, or form. However, what happened to me was really, really unfortunate. Um, I decided to comply with the medication, take them as yeah, prescribed. Right, right, yeah. And then what wound up happening, one of the drugs that I took was a very, very heavy antipsychotic. It okay. was taking it to calm me. And one of the side effects of a lot of the antipsychotics are tics, facial tics. Really? There's a condition called tardive dyskinesia, oh. which causes involuntary tug movement. Oh. Causes people to have apathasia, oh. which is when your legs kind of move. 
but oh, the nervousness. Oh, I've seen that before. Okay. So all of these things. So they said, oh my God, she's only 18. She's starting to show signs of tardive dyskinesia. Oh, they noticed that my tongue was moving when I was speaking and I wasn't even aware of it. <gasps> So they figured because once you have this condition, there's no going back. Oh. So they took me off the medication. No. Um, and then they had to replace it with something. Mm -hmm. So they gave me a benzodiazepine called cl the clonopin. Oh, I know clonopin. Which has a really high street value. Yeah, it does. That's the good stuff. I know that stuff. Oh, yeah. So what they did was is they pumped me with the clonopin, neglected to take my blood work, and about a month later, when they did... Were you in hospital, though? I was in the hospital. And they didn't do your blood work? They didn't do my blood work. It doesn't make sense. When they did do the level, I was I was toxic. Oh so, what do you have to do? Stop the clonopin right away. Right, yeah. And I had a psychotic break. Yeah, that seems like you would. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. It was Sorry. And I think the scariest thing about that whole experience, and actually it's, it's helped me in a, I'm at a place where I'm okay yeah, with it. Right. Um, because it makes me really good at what I do. Of, of course. So I was having a psychotic break, but not being fully gone was something. Because now I can look back yeah. and I see what I was seeing. But I think the most important thing is that feeling of not being understood. Because part of mm. being in that state, you have enough awareness to know that everyone around you thinks you're crazy, uh, yeah. but you're you're not able to make a case for yourself. Uh, it's frustrating and scary. So I scary. try to give people the benefit of the doubt when I see them. Mm. A lot of patients I see are in acute psychosis, and I try really hard to remember that. It's, yeah, how yeah. you felt. Yeah, yeah. And was your family supportive during that time? Um, you know, my family had its own issues. I mean, you know, in, in my family, there is a significant history of mental illness. Oh, yeah. Um, my, my paternal grandfather, he committed suicide before oh. I was born. And my dad, it's still questionable. He mm. died when I was four. It's not clear yeah. if it was suicide or not. Um, but yeah, bipolar disorder runs rampant in oh. my family. Well. Yeah. Wow, you're like the f banner flag of strength yeah. for your family. Because, <laughs> I mean, it starts somewhere. It's just, yeah. It just starts with a family, yeah. you know? So yeah. that's really great. So, um, well, thank you, honestly, for sharing. Oh, sure, no problem. Very personal. Um, and so the book, so it's a working manuscript, so it's, yeah. so it's not out yet. It's not out yet. Purchase, uh, no, right? not yet. But I'm really looking yeah. forward to, you know, finding the right publisher ah, okay. who takes an interest in it. It's a lot of fun. I mean, really, I tell a lot of, a lot of it's about my experiences on the inpatient mental health system mm. and really growing up in the mental health system. It it's talks really a important. bit about my relationships, Yeah, a lot of failed relationships, kind mm. of. The embarrassing stuff, but yeah. it's kind of funny now in hindsight. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, we look forward to definitely seeing that awesome. come out. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you'll be on here as a published author. Oh, I hope so. How's that? I would love it. Yeah, we have to give it a date. That's how things happen. Okay. So now, Warrior Women in Business. Oh, boy. I saw your Wonder Women all over your in your office. Oh, yeah. Just, so a Warrior Woman. What... How would you define a warrior woman, a woman who is strong throughout anything she faces? You know, when, when we talk about that, mm -hmm. um, how would you modernize that? How would you see a woman today with all the things that we have to do now? You know, we're, we're pretty much equal with men now having to work mm -hmm. and do everything else. So to you, what does that mean? You know, it's funny, like with, you know, the memoir Thorazine Goddess, there's 
there is an aspect of that that has to do with being a strong woman, a warrior. Mm. Um, I think for me, a lot of my my strength came from questioning things around me. Mm. Um, I don't think anger is necessarily a bad thing. I think my Sometimes I, you need it. I think anger for me mm. um, really really pushed me forward to kind of advocate for myself. I mean. I'm not saying that's the best place to be coming from, yeah. but I think a little bit of passion really goes a long way. Um, I just people need to be okay with getting getting angry. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I know that I get angry a lot of times with some of my patients who are just, you know, kind of resigned to things just being mm -hmm. the way they are. Um, and I think that's really, really dangerous, be it in an abusive relationship, an abusive Absolutely. household. I think you get so used to your surroundings, you don't realize there can be something else. Yeah. And for me, getting angry about it really helped me to start moving forward. Absolutely. I'm not saying that works for everyone. No, no, no. I was going to say that um, I think that that's a uh, superpower kind of signal to anyone. Yeah. You know, that, that anger is telling you something. Mm -hmm. To leave a relationship yeah. or to leave an environment mm -hmm. or to Absolutely. leave a job or to leave a career so I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing and I think if you mask that mm -hmm. then you never really fully realize your potential mm -hmm. as a person I think we have to be more aware of our you know our spidey sense okay being aware <laughs> yeah. of what what makes if something makes the hairs on the back of your neck go up yeah. if you get that feeling yeah go with your gut yeah you know i think I that a lot of us have been invalidated for so long so if we're told oh yeah you don't know what you're talking about okay fine. Oh. but i'm in a place now and i look i work in an emergency room i deal with misogyny on a day by day daily basis yeah i and, come from a family of doctors and well, my then father the one that that caused all the problems he was one of those men and mm. male doctors in the emergency room so i know that type of person and not easy to deal with. No, absolutely not. At all, because it seems like you would have to constantly be proving mm -hmm. your worth in that, which you don't. You shouldn't have to. i got to be honest. <laughs> with some of the doctors in the ER, and I'm thinking about today in particular, I bullied them. Good for you. <laughs> Bully them. Because you know what? They can't, they're probably not used to it. But you know what's really funny? And I really, funny. I really relish this, though, because it's really funny. So yeah. after so many years and being yeah. victimized by the medical profession and, and psychiatry, oh, too, yeah. I'm now in a position where I literally have ER doctors saying, Deb, uh, what should I do with this patient? Oh. Yeah. That's good. So now, you're now you're being looked up to. Mm -hmm. because, you, because you have the experience mm -hmm. and you have the confidence. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about men a little bit. Because so in this show, okay. we talk a lot about empowering women and right. men coming together. But the show is not about excluding men. And okay. It's actually the opposite. It's about including everyone, right, and making mm -hmm. things more equal. So in your field, um, where have you seen men helping women? I don't know if like you have any types of women's initiatives or women's programs, but what do you think men can do to help women succeed in the in the field, in the professional field of mental health? Hmm. Well, you know, it's really interesting. In in mental health, it is the the majority of folks are are either people that were touched by mental illness at some point in their mm, life. Um, it is strongly a female um, you know, occupied profession. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that I could say to men in the field is, and again, I say this with almost anything, be it cultural competence, what have you, sure. the best way to find out how to help or support someone is to just ask them. 
Yeah. It's that basic. I don't yeah. think it necessarily has to be so complicated because everyone is different. What your needs are might be different from mine. Sure, absolutely. You know, so yeah. that's, I think, the biggest thing. Um, and what I see, and in the work that I do now, I'm actually one of my coworkers, really, really wonderful, sweet, sensitive guy, you know, very, very young, in yeah. his early 20s, out of grad school. Mm-hmm. And what I'm so impressed by is... First of all, he's an advocate for his patients, which is refreshing to see someone who's so in it. But he always asks. Sure. He's respectful and asks about people's comfort level. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. Caring. Yeah. Like yeah. truly, genuinely yeah. caring about someone else. Yeah. And that's why, you know, in my business, we don't really talk about it, but, you know, so I've been in digital marketing forever, worked yeah, with all yeah. different types of clients. And I always think about, oh, who are my best clients? And most of them are in the healthcare field, to mm-hmm. me, because they generally care. And I think right. that if we can bring that across to other businesses and industries, it would be so nice. We mm-hmm. just personally have a better world. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. We're back, Warrior Women in Business, talking here with Deborah Max about mental health. And we're talking about domestic violence in support of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And before the, the lights went out, we were talking a little bit about the importance of supporting the community and the importance of helping those that can help others. And we were talking a little bit about um, how we can treat people before the cycle starts. Absolutely. So, so you kind of like backtrack a little bit and talk to us about um, where you see violence and abuse, begetting violence and abuse, and what you think can be done to kind of stop that and what you've seen in your own experience? Well, I think we have to go back to, like, the initial trauma. I know from my experience in doing homeless outreach and working working with sex offenders Mm. and seeing there was never a case of one of my clients who was an offender that wasn't a victim at one point. Mm. So if we address the root cause, which is the initial trauma, I think that really is a good way to go to kind of prevent the abused becoming the abusers. I also think what we're seeing a lot, there's definitely a gender bias. Um, It's almost more acceptable for women to share their experiences of abuse versus men. Yes. Um, And I think we're also talking about the importance of inclusion. Almost definitely. And not just thinking it's a women's problem. Like This show is not about just about women. No, I think it's abuse. It's It's, It's a relationship. Yeah. Problem, right? Well, and I and I think it's underreported when it comes mm. to men. Yeah, of um, and that's that goes with sexual abuse to domestic violence oh, and what have I you. See, yeah. And also, we can't ignore institutional abuse. Mm. We really, really can't. We see a lot of this in the criminal justice system. We have, you know, children, adolescents mm. that are abused, and then what ends up happening is oh, that their terrible. role models, but their role models are their abusers. So they learn these bad behaviors, and then they go into the institutions. That's an excellent point. And for survival, they have to up their game. And we see the violence just increases. That's terrible. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who's involved in an organization called Operation Warrior Shield. They're a great organization. What they do is they help um, families um, of victims that have committed suicide after they've left uh, the military. Yeah. And I was having this conversation and learned that actually... um, there is a there's a problem in the military with um, rape, yeah. and sexual abuse, and um, the point of the story is that those women are afraid to say anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So I can see how, when it's contained, when this type of abuse is contained in certain structural organizations, that people don't talk about it. So I think it's important that people do begin to talk about it in a way um, where they can be free. And 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 I think when you're talking about men, 
they're probably women are more emotional, right? And men really aren't um, raised mm -hmm. to get out there and, and peel out their emotions, right? Like I think that's a huge part of it, but I think you touched on something else that's a little bit different, which is that that fear of retaliation. When there's a power differential, mm. whether it's perceived or real. Now, yeah. in the military, that's a great example of right. a very significant power differential. <laughs> but when we talk about the mental health system, what power does a person who is inpatient on a psychiatric unit have None. to report any allegations Nothing. of abuse? That's Once you're point. identified as the mm. patient, your you know credibility goes out the window. Mm. And that's really scary. So what happens? Mm. Why say anything if when you say something, no one believes you anyway? Uh. So it's about finding your voice, I think, is a huge part of it also. And not absolutely. being fearful of retaliation. Yeah, absolutely. So, we're definitely gonna we're gonna talk about this subject more. Uh, yeah, I think we're gonna be talking later. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited for October 24th. Very much so. Yeah. Deborah Max is going to be there, and I'm gonna be passing her the microphone to talk about this from an insider perspective. Um, and we're we're gonna get into this conversation a little bit about finding your voice, whether you're a man or a woman, and you've been a victim or your family member. And you know, and you've been a victim, and what can you do? Right. So, I just want to share uh, October 24th. It's going to be a great event, obviously, for a fantastic cause. And hopefully, everyone will come and attend or support it if you have something to contribute to our silent auction. Um, it's at the New York Art Center, October 24th, from 6 to 9 p.m. in Tribeca. Mm -hmm. And so, we're having support um, from the artists actually at the gallery, which is amazing. Okay. 20 unique pieces, all gifted to the silent auction. And we're raising all the mm -hmm. funds go to something called the Mayor's Fund, which takes all the monies and disseminates that money equally through to domestic violence support groups Wonderful. in New York City. But for me, that's a good part of it, but I think the mo more important piece of it is actually having that conversation, you know, having the education on that day mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. building awareness. And like Deborah and I were talking about today, it's really important for others to share that. Otherwise, like you said, you know, it just kind of stops mm -hmm. at the victim and we don't want that to happen. So if you're interested in attending, Meeting Deborah and I on October 24th uh, at the Warrior Women in Business Silent Auction event. Please uh, visit us on Facebook. Uh, it's Warrior Women in Business WWIB on Facebook. Easiest way to get your tickets. And I want to thank you so much oh, for being thank on you. today. So again, thank you, Deborah, so much for being on the show. And I'm sure people want to get in touch with you. So can you share your website and how people can get sure. in touch with you, please? The best way for people to get in touch with me is through either my website, which is DebraMax.com. That's D-E-B-O-R-A-H-M-A-X.com or Deborah at DebraMax.com. I promise I always respond to emails. I'm just not on social media. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, if, if you'd like to reach out to Deborah Max, please do, and her book is gonna be coming out, we hope soon, so we will ask you to support that, and we'll meet you on October 24th. Excellent. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks. All right.